this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebrand Safety. This week, we're talking to a tech company that made social distancing devices and now has pivoted to create something that's really exciting. Let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit subscribe hit the bell all of that stuff my name's James McPherson I'm from Risk Fluent Limited and Rebounding Safety is our purpose as a company so thank you very much for joining us on this journey it's lovely to have you with us today we're talking to a gentleman called Ronan Finnegan he created a device to help us all socially distant a nudge for social distancing so to speak but then all of a sudden that became something that's not really needed so what do you do? Well, if you're an entrepreneur, you pivot, don't you? And he did. And it's really interesting to see what they're doing. So we get him on to talk all about what he's doing. And I'm mega excited to watch what he and the team um, at Space Band can do. So let's jump into our conversation with Ronan. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. No worries. No worries. Do you want to introduce yourself and then we'll, we'll get cracking? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Ronan Finnegan. I'm one of the co-founders at Space Bands. So, yeah, I mean, we're making wearable tech for health and safety is the, the long and short of it. Cool. Uh, tell me, um, I, I kind of know the story of Space Bands, but it's a fascinating story. Like, like how did Space Bands start? And kind of t- tell that like, like beginning story, because I think it's fascinating. And then we'll kind yeah. of really get into it from there. Yeah, by all means. Um, so I... Been an entrepreneur since leaving school. I'm 27 now. I've done it for nine, ten years, and naturally, yeah, I mean, a variety of projects have often come my way. I've done many of my own projects, but often I've had friends come to me with ideas of, "Hey, I've got this thing. Can you help me do it?" Because the nature of what I've been doing for the last number of years. Anyway, I had a text from one of my childhood best friends, Harry, in March 2022, just when all the COVID outbreak stuff was happening. And the text, I remember it still so clearly, was I have this idea for a social distancing device because no one's keeping to the rules. So at the time, I had other business commitments, but effectively dropped them all. And Harry equally dropped it all. He had a current, he had a job at the time and started working on this other, this project. So in its first iteration, space bands were a COVID wearable. It was a device that beeped and vibrated to alert users to step away from each other effectively. Um, and then it would store that contact tracing data so that you could utilize the, the information to decipher whether or not a person with a positive COVID test has been in contact with a variety of other people. So when we started the business, the, the whole concept was initially around schools. It sounds very Black Mirror at the time, but all of the, the media was really showing like concern about schools returning and obviously kids catching COVID. So we weren't trying to use this as kind of a behavioral support tool. Really, we were just trying to keep these kids safe when we first started making the device. So uh, Harry and I kind of ideated around this concept. And within six weeks, we went from a concept to a product. 
And then from there, extend it into a mobile application that would track the contact tracing logs and customize settings, the distance and the type of alert and all that sort of stuff. But we started trying to sell into schools and we kind of thought it was either going to be the, the billion dollar idea. We were going to sell it to every single school in the country or it was going to be a, a slow burner. Now, naturally, we contacted all the states, the state schools and the council boards, but it was such a slow process that we figured by the time we end up getting through to the decision makers, COVID's going to disappear. At that time, we all sort of anticipated that COVID might be a two month or three month process. Obviously, it went on for a lot, lot longer, but no one really knew how long it was going to last when we first started doing this. So we contacted, um, we started going after the private schools then, and we had some big interest from a number of the, basically the biggest private schools in the UK. I won't say names just because I don't know how, where, I, where I stand in terms of <laughs> whether or not I'm allowed to say that. But yeah, we had some interest, but inevitably we had no sales come in. However, we had this live website of this social distancing device up and we were getting people landing in our inbox saying like, hey, I, this is really cool technology. Like I'd love to use it for my business. Most of these companies who were contacting us were logistics providers or food manufacturers, businesses that couldn't stay closed regardless of government guidelines because inevitably they, they had to keep staff on site because otherwise the whole supply chain would fall apart. We'd have no food in the supermarkets and that sort of thing. So we quickly realized without even really going after a target market that this was a business product as opposed to a, a product for school children. So... Um, yeah, we kind of sort of changed our positioning overnight. We went from this whole big, bright school kind of, this is a nice, lighthearted way of not being told told off. That, that was kind of the main angle for the product in its first version. It was so that teachers weren't shouting at kids to stay apart. It was kind of a, a nice alert, as horrible as that sounds now that I'm looking back at it. Yeah, it was a, yeah like a, a polite way to tell them to move apart, apart from getting Science getting screamed at, but yeah, we positioned, repositioned, and went after the business angle. We started yeah, the, the branding, kind of had factory floors on the websites and construction sites, and like yeah, yeah, it all felt like it was a business play. Now, the second we did that, kind of the the business just went on some crazy trajectory. trajectory. Like we, yeah, to cut a long story short, in our first year, we sold twenty five thousand products to over a thousand businesses. We turned over half a million pounds as a team of two working in a bedroom selling this wearable. We kind of had never anticipated that it was going to go as well as it did. But yeah, I mean, we were the, we were the cheapest we were the cheapest option on the market while still being a completely cohesive and effective way of monitoring social distancing. We had no data collected on our devices in the sense we had no uh, like personal data, no employee information. So lots of companies who are looking to implement the devices um, we're able to do so without fears of a third party, i.e. Spacebands or another social distancing company, tracking and storing their data. So for that reason, we won contracts with Sony, Panasonic, uh, Amazon, the NHS used our devices in their business services. Uh, the MOD used our devices in their barracks. Wow. We had Travis Perkins, uh, British American Tobacco, lots of the kind of the biggest manufacturing and construction sites in the UK. And then naturally from there, expanded into international markets so we sold into 30 different countries in our first year um, and we were i mean as inevitably when the business is growing that quick the media kind of get traction of it so we were featured on bbc news featured on sky news featured on apple news uh, we were like on the iphone home screen for a while uh, martin lewis wore our devices on his show we went viral on twitter what tweety did uh, jimmy fallon wore our devices on his show because we had a contract with the us itv production site so they, all the like camera operators and stuff on his show were wearing the devices. So we were just kind of, it was all growing exponentially. But inevitably we knew 
that that COVID angle was going to disappear because the, the product was only as good as, I mean, it seems again, strange to say, but the co- the product was only as good as government guidance. Hmm. The second government said that COVID wasn't a thing anymore, we knew that that product wouldn't have a use case. And naturally, being young entrepreneurs, we were also not willing to just be pushing a COVID product when inevitably we wanted our lives to return back to normal as well. So we didn't want to be ringing up, making cold calls, telling people they should be full pro COVID when everything else was saying that it was okay. So we asked our customers what they wanted to see us do next. Now, naturally, the customers of that product were the health and safety managers from these big organizations because they were the people who were keeping people safe within COVID. It was either the C-suite execs or it was the health and safety team because, yeah, I mean, most businesses didn't have someone for disease management on the payroll because no one was anticipating they would need the disease management angle. So, yeah, so we asked those customers what they wanted to see next. And health and safety is a, I mean, as I'm learning over the nature of doing this business, is a a strange space where technology is kind of behind where it would be in other industries. Mm. It's not somewhere that's often innovated by uh, title entrepreneurs because most of the innovation comes from health and safety managers who have found a unique thing within their job role that needs to be covered. And then they just do this one thing because they found a gap, i.e. like, I mean, a decibel reader that someone was working on they realized it wasn't good enough. So they made a, made a better version, but there's, there's often not kind of flat based innovation that doesn't just come from a small improvement in technology that already exists. I love that your example of existing safety innovation is a decibel meter. (laughs) (laughs) summarizes our profession perfectly (laughs) we've innovated what have we made a fucking decibel meter jesus (laughs) jesus it's very true you're very you you are spot on we're oh god millennia behind when it comes to tech uh, and safety why is that is it because of the example i gave or what like what is the reason that that's I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think one is one is arrogance. I think we think we're doing really well. Um, I think there's a refusal to accept that we're we're not doing as well as what we think we are, particularly in countries like the UK. Um, there's a lot of I said there's a lot of debate. There's not a lot of debate. There's nowhere near enough debate. But like. If you look at our performance, you know, health-wise, we're, we're terrible. Like so many people are still really poorly uh, as a result of work uh, and, and new people getting more and more poorly every day. And you, you, we're still killing on average like 130 people a year in the UK. Like, I have noticed that. We've been looking at fatality rates more than as it seems recently in the UK. As a, such a developed country, the UK is pretty, like, it, it's not doing great. Yeah, I think in the, in the, in the Europe, we're like, Last I looked, which was a long time ago, like fifth, something like that. Um, but still like fifth least. So you got the least and then we kill like... With the, the nature of how progressive UK society has been with technology and just with general practices. Yeah. There's other countries that just by this complete stereotype, you'd expect weren't following the rules so much. Whereas like, yeah. I mean, a lot of... Yeah, I would anticipate that UK workers kind of follow rules, but then it seems to be the opposite when you look at the stats. Well, well, ultimately, I think I think part of what you've said there is also part of the problem is that we think that safety as is, is as simple as just getting people to follow some rules, but like it's it's no one it's it's phenomenally complex. You know, getting companies to make risk based decisions and not go health and safety mad, but then also not go 
nowhere near safety. It's like there's just there's just dynamic space that you've got to bounce and balance all the time. And then a lot of people just thinking that it's just just a load of paperwork. There's so much going on here. And then the safety profession just sitting quite pretty on their ivory tower. I'm, I'm conscious I'm slagging off my entire audience, but like <laughs> most of them will be nodding their head and agreeing. Um, we, we very much sat on, our, on an ivory tower for a long time saying, um, we, we do, we're amazing. We're really good. Um, the UK innovate led the legislation around the world in 1974. We were like the, one of the best and, and it still is one of the best legislations in the world. And I think we just sat there and thought, yeah, we're kind of arrogantly, we're cool. Um, and then when we go, oh, another 130 people have died this year. Or we go, oh, that's just a bad company. They're not listening to us and we can't control them because they're just really horrible people. Um, and I, I just don't think that's good enough. So I don't think that we have pushed innovation ourselves. And typically it's supply and demand, right? If we were demanding we needed something, people like entrepreneurs like yourself would have gone, fucking out, look, there's this, there's this group of safety people over here that are screaming for some help. We could come up with something. Um, but we just weren't screaming for help, I don't think, because um, I don't think we thought we needed it. Then but Often also because the profession is... Like if you're if you're asking for help as a health and safety manager, you're generally saying that you're not doing something right. So it like takes the ownership of you doing your job right. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a big part of that. I think a lot of the time we we positioned ourselves as the experts, um, which then bit us in the arse when we've gone, oh, we we actually have reached the end of our expertise and we don't really know what to do now. Um, yeah, mate, my profession is complex and we are having a bit of identity crisis in my opinion or we should be having an identity crisis um and i, and I think tech is i mean even, even interesting there's one guy cameron stevens who's based out of australia who um is kind of like the big pusher for tech in safety um on linkedin and so on um you know it might be worth connecting the two of you together to have a chat um, Cameron Stevens, his name is, um, but he, he's like kind of trying to really, really push tech in safety and, and get more people talking about it. And he made such an interesting point when I was talking to him, um, kind of off the podcast when he said, I find it fascinating. We've got all these academics and thought leaders, thought leaders that are really pushing the new safety, like the innovative ways of doing safety. Um, yet none of these books have a chapter on technology. And I was like, oh, shit, that's such a good point. Like, even now, of the people that we think are pushing safety in a better direction, we're still not talking about tech. Like, And, and tech is, for me, gonna got to be one of the things that was going to really make a difference. Um, we work quite closely with, a, with an AI company that, utilizes AI tech with CCTV and helps gather loads of data to inform boards to make better decisions, basically. But previously, how AI had been used um, in a similar tech, or based, I, I might be mistalking here, but like it looks to me as a layman's point of view, a very similar technology, a different company um, that will use it, 
but used it only just to beat the worker and be like, meh, 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 the alarm's going off and just be like, you're standing in the wrong position, meh, 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 or something like that. You're not wearing your high vis and stuff. Like that. Oh, we're missing a point here. Like AI can be so good at like analyzing shitloads of data that we can't see that because we, we're not there or whatever and do what AI is really good at, making spotting trends and making predictions, which fills the gap of what we're doing, except... And that's why we worked really closely with this company, like, and um, we we try to promote their stuff as as best we can, um, because of the way that they're utilizing AI is to help us do better at our job. And I think the relationship between us and tech hasn't been like that in the past. It's been very much like, oh, here's some tech that's just another stick that we can beat the worker with, or let's not talk about tech because we don't need it. It's a very long answer to your question. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, so where were we? So, yeah, so you've gone from in six weeks, you've gone from, hey, here's an idea, which like is as far as most people get, like everyone's, everyone has ideas, right? And most people get to that point, go, oh, I've got this idea. And then one day somebody else makes that idea and you go, fucking hell, I had that idea. Yeah, I was going to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to the point where most people get to, I've got an idea. And then six weeks later, you're, you've gone to product. And then what? A, a matter of months later, you're talking to some of the biggest brands in, in the world. Yeah, exactly. I reckon from idea to playing playing with the big guys was probably a two-month process. I mean, a two-month process, admittedly, of like seven, day, seven days a week and 16-hour days. So you're not really working... I'd be, I'd be pretty good pretty good at what i do if i could do that in a normal working week but, um, <laughs> Into five. Yeah. it was yeah, chaos but it, i mean it, yeah it paid off so we yeah so we started building this social distancing product sold the social distancing product and then got to this pivotal point where we realized this is, we, we were still admittedly making good sales at this point but we knew that yeah the, the risk of the business continuing was so dependent on government guidelines and then even when we started selling into international markets as the uk government were sort of turning off the COVID gates, so to speak, we were still finding the same obstacles that like we'd start selling in a different country. And then you'd realize that after a number of months, that country was starting to sales or starting to tail off and you kind of move, move, move. And then eventually you got to this point where we were like, well, there's no more sales. But all the same, we were having these conversations with customers in about, it would have been about September, 2020, to be honest, it was about six months into the sales cycle of that social distancing product. So maybe two years ago, which makes me realize that I've slowed down at the speed of which I work. I've from six weeks to product now, two years later, I'm still building that. This <laughs> um, but yeah, so we asked those customers what they wanted to see us do next. Like 80, 90% of those customers were health and safety managers, as they said. So they wanted something that would address health and safety. Now, we weren't too sure what that would really mean. Like we looked at building PPE, we looked at making kind of infrastructure for construction sites or manufacturing sites like lockers and that sort of thing, just because we had all these contacts in health and safety. Um, but after ideating, we've arrived back at the fact that we were going to build a wearable. I mean, we did it well before. We managed to build a wearable on an app and it all worked. So we thought, yeah, let's do the same thing again. The real um, differential that we found, however, in that research was that lots of safety technology isn't really, it's, it's not an integrated system. You'll often address one thing or one aspect of safety, whether that's uh, building occupancy or fire logging or decibel reading or manif- machinery proximity or certification checks or whatever it might be. But they're all single 
feature pieces of technology that address just this one thing. And often it will be, if it's a, if it's a big team of health and safety professionals within an organization, there'll be kind of one person with the responsibility for each of those attributes. Yeah. To a holistic view that kind of the team can operate together and assign data to individuals and that sort of thing. So to cut a long story short, we realized that we were going to build a wearable that would address multiple features as well as any other player on the market. Because I mean, inevitably, it's, it's not heavy tech to create something that manages decibels. Like, of course, there is some technology behind it, but the, the real beauty in the data is when you can address if one hazard is more prevalent than another by seeing them on the same view, by seeing that, although your decibel reading might look really high, your the frequency of high loud noise in your workplace might look really high, if you're comparing that against how, how often machines bash into people when you put those two data points together, you can realize that actually you shouldn't be looking at the loud noise as your main concern. The real thing is the machine proximity because every month that's going up by 5%, 10%. There's somewhere trainings amiss or some employee who's skewing all the data and all that sort of stuff. So this new wearable that we're building is a multi-feature safety wearable. It, it will be worn by all employees within, for the most part, manufacturing construction. But I mean, we'll go after other markets, but we really have that as our, our focus at the beginning. It will alert for, there's about 15 different hazards on the device. Um, it will tell the employee at the time, like, watch out, there's a forklift behind you, or put your PPE on, there's loud noise, or you're in the control room, have you got the certificate to be here, or you're stepping onto site, are you wearing your steel cap boots? Or, yeah, I mean, I could tell you through every single feature, but it, it, it's, <laughs> we'd be here for a, for a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what it does is it, in real time, alerts about hazard. And then we have a reporting dashboard that analyzes all these variety of hazards. It gives you uh, data to say that trips and falls were up 10% yesterday. Is there an issue with your services? Or it will tell you that you know, there were five machine collisions. Like, do you need to address the mapping within your, your warehouse? Yeah. So it, it ends up being a data-led where. <laughs> Wearable for us is really the means of data collection, not data collection for space bands. The space bands as a company have, have no benefit kind of in that data. The data is completely put by the customer. But it, the fact that it can report all the data and you can view everything holistically means that you can make informed decisions rather than just kind of taking guesswork between individual pieces of technology. Love that. Love that. Make it clear that the use of computer vision is because that you want to learn about patterns of behavior in parts of workplace to improve the work environment. Then you will not use it as a disciplinary, disciplinary, disciplinary tool unless there are exceptional circumstances. Consult employee reps. Give them a distraction of what CV will do, CV being computer vision, as well as reassuring them. They will have great ideas about how it can be used to protect people. They're just two of the rules in the white paper um, that Protex AI have done for building trust within the workplace when we're using uh, computer vision uh, AI. So computer vision is like the AI tech that goes onto your CCTV that Protex AI do. And one of the biggest issues that we've got is that if we've just got a culture of where we think, not just as a company or you, like just I think everyone, a majority of people have a culture where you think you're only doing this to spy on me. And that's the problem when we've got predominantly a lot of these AI type uh, 
data building type tech innovations and that was one of the things that stood out when we spoke to Protex AI we had quite a lot of these computer vision people come to us rebound safety being like oh can we you know can we talk about you know talking to your audience and stuff like that and one of the first things we we would try and get out of them is like how are you using this and the second we got a hint of like you're using it to punish the worker we we don't we didn't want it it was just being used as another stick to beat the worker and the thing that stood out with protex is that they didn't want that to happen and they've kind of put that this this kind of whole ethos into a white paper um which is a great piece of of information it's free of charge you can download it from the website it's called ai's role in promoting a proactive safety culture all about kind of building that data and becoming more proactive but one of the first things we need to do is increase trust that's why i really liked their kind of list of rules essentially to build trust like this is how we're going to use it and this is our framework we're going to operate within so you can find the link in the description below for that white paper it's not massive it's a it's a relatively easy read it's not horrendous like academic type paper it's an easy read it's broken down into nice chunks and um, there's a lot of valuable information in there along with a little bit of a bonus as a kind of little introduction into safety culture so if you weren't and you weren't sure as to where the word or phrase safety culture came from it's in that paper as well go to the link in the description and download your paper now i, mem- I remember when um like you, you messaged me. I'll, I'll, I'll have some public accountability here. You messaged me what mid COVID, I think, saying like, "Love to come on and talk about your stuff," and and I not purposely completely ignored you, and then like. I think you messaged me like two years later or something, or I messaged you two years later and we finally got around to having a conversation. I, I remember coming on the call uh, or just before the call, I said to my wife who runs the, the company with us and she's like, who, who, who are you talking to now? And I was like, oh, it's this guy that made this like COVID tech and it was really cool. But like COVID's like so last year. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this because I'm, I'm proper screwed this guy over. Like I just, accidentally ignored him when when I when we could have really helped our audience by telling them about what you're doing and helped you by telling our audience about what you're doing. And um and I'll proper screwed this guy over. So I know I'm an, I owe him an apology. But then additionally, I was also worried that I'm going to get on the call and this guy's going to be like, I really want to come to your podcast and tell <laughs> people about social distancing. And I'm going to have to say, mate, it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so when when you kind of brought that point up yourself, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> um, so there's a kind of funny story about how this kind of came about, which I that's probably one of my favourite stories of this podcast uh, so far. What, four years in? Uh, is it four years? Yeah, four years in. Um, that, that still makes me smile now thinking about that. Because I proper fucked up there. <laughs> no, it's all good. We had had a similar situation time and time again when we started kind of making this pip, the live pivot. When we we basically I got to I think maybe June of last year, and we were like, look, international sales of the COVID product have disappeared. We don't want to keep pushing this thing. We're just wasting our time and other people's time by outreaching. Yeah. When we when we turned off that tap and sort of repositioned ourselves with this health and safety multi feature wearable the amount of conversations where you're just kind of like justifying about like, I'm not the COVID guy. I'm not the COVID guy. Speak to me about this instead. 
<laughs> it was really difficult those two or three months because obviously you build up so many contacts when you were we were effectively the, the covid experts for a while mm. within the uk because we were the, the biggest covid wearable company in the uk and probably to the most part in europe because there wasn't too many play- sounds like a better accolade than it was the reality is there aren't all that many people playing in a space that <laughs> arrives in a year and then disappears a year later but <laughs> anyway <laughs> what what i what i did, did so much in what you said um so there's there's a there's a there's this kind of uh, I don't, I'm annoying myself the, the amount of time that I, I mention it, but like if we think about like bringing fresh eyes in, like that cognitive diversity piece, um, which the reason why I say that, I talk about this all the time, and the listeners will be like, "Fucking hell, here it goes again." But I'm not, <laughs> not going to mention the book or the theory. We'll just leave it there. Like the the influx of COVID kind of forced you into our industry. Which I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a lot of money on this. I'm pretty sure when you decided I'm not I'm gonna be an entrepreneur, you never went, I'm gonna go in the safety space because that's exciting, right? <laughs> this, this is exactly true. <laughs> I never ever thought I'd be working in health and safety. <laughs> I mean, like there, there could have been a time at some point, but I never thought an entrepreneurial venture would bring me to health and safety. I'd say that much. Okay, so you owe me a lot of money because I won that bet. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, what I love about this, really fascinating, is that you'd never set out to work in this industry, and we weren't screaming for you. the majority of us weren't screaming for you know people who are not safety professionals to come over. So we're solely reliant on somebody spotting a gap, which we've kind of covered up and tried to not tell anyone there is a gap there. So COVID thrusts you into, kind of thrusts you into our uh, profession, which brings that fresh eyes in, which you'd spotted something which has frustrated me for so many years. And you hit the nail on the head, you probably noticed me nodding my head like mad, is we've got so much tech, it's all for individual problems. So like, right, I want to, I want to speed up my auditing process. Here's a, here's a software for it. Okay, cool. I need to do, I've got a problem with X hazard. Here's, here's some tech for it. I've got a problem with X hazard. Here's some tech for it. Like, no, fuck me. Like as a safety professional, I'd be in a company with like 20 different pieces of software. God knows how many bits of tools and kits, like just to be able to freaking do what I need to do. None of it really had this holistic view of kind of what, what you're talking about. Um, yeah, you're singing to me here. The, the other thing that also came out of that original research is that there, there often isn't kind of a market leader for individual hazard stuff. Every, every company seems to have different ways in which they do it. There's obviously standards to what's right and what's wrong of like when stuff gets to a certain exposure level, it becomes a negative. But there's no kind of like st- substandard tech stack, if you like, within companies. Uh, what, like, what do you... Like how they achieve the the solution in a way. No Most stuff. people use they use a different auditing software, or they use different loan worker alarms, or they use different. Yeah. So like when you move, it must be frustrating as a health and safety manager when you move between jobs and you get there, you're like, oh, wait a second, I don't, I've yeah. never used any of this stuff before. Yeah, yeah, and and it, that's that's like our whole profession. Like you would literally go to one company and be like, oh no, we don't use Notify, we use Safety Culture. Okay, fine. Uh, or, or not, iAuditor or whatever it's called. Oh, we don't use iAuditor, we use Notify. Oh, okay, cool, fine. Back over to Notify we go. And then like a load of my customers have the same with like um, procurement style, safety and procurement skills. Oh, we don't use Chads, we use SMAS. Well, they're both the same. No, no, we we only accept SMAS. Fuck me. Right, okay. It's, it, that is our entire industry. 
agree. Um, and do you know what? Everyone prefers your own. Like I'm, I'm a Microsoft and an Android user. I'm not an Apple user. Okay, cool. That's fine. But like, I wouldn't employ someone and be like, you must fucking use Android. You're not using <laughs> Apple. Do you know what I mean? But in safety, we seem to do that. We're like, I don't give a shit what you like. You <laughs> Do what we do um and yeah you, you you've hit the nail on the head there and then they're all slightly different so they're all trying to come up with their usp but it's not and again i've mentioned a lot of companies there which are doing a lot of awesome work notify is doing some great work safety culture who have my auditor are doing some great work um so i'm i'm just i'm not used when i yeah. say and when I say that USB is not enough, I'm not talking about those companies, but like as a collective, as a customer, it's like you've all got your USP, but it's very slight because you're all doing the same thing. So loan, loan working is a prime example. There are a phenomenal amount of companies that will ring us and be like, oh, we've got this loan worker app. Like, okay, cool. What, what's different? Or as we, we find our device is more ergonomic than somebody else's device. And I'm just like, well, okay, but it's not really my big problem. <laughs> so, yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. That, that is very much a, a, a kind of challenge here. But what, there's, there's another thing that you, that you say that you, what you're doing, which I really like. So um, there's a the data thing, which I want to come to. Um, I'll pause that for one second. In... Yeah, the big one of the big problems in kind of like the human behavioral side of safety is people will do the right. I'm kind of careful. I'm on, I want to word this right. People will make more safety conscious decisions when the safety professional or the supervisor or the boss is standing there right next to them, for example, right? Um, and and more often than not, safety as contrary to popular belief safety is not and should not be the top priority of an organization nothing really should be the top priority it's dynamic right so i don't want to go down a rabbit hole but what i really like about when you were talking about kind of how you've repurposed and restructured and kind of retargeted your product and and when you said we went and spoke to safety professionals i was like oh fuck this isn't going to be good um, how much faith I have in my profession, but but it's really nice that actually what you've got is something that I think we really struggle with is nudging people. So if you can take like nudge theory of just giving people a little prompt or a little reminder at that point in which they're interacting with the hazard is really good because all we had previously was signage. That's all we had, like a little sticker. And it's just, the signage is good, as we've found with the, with the contact tracing, social distancing element is good for a month, and then people are just like, oh, a nice painting on the wall. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, and, and when you were kind of saying, oh, this is one thing, like, you know, I, just to let you know, you've just walked into a, I don't know, hard hat zone, or, you know, your your your, uh, your watch or your wearable is letting you know, oh, it's uh, it's 80 decibels, Can you don't forget you need to put your... Your, your hearing protection, or it's not even like an order to put your PPE on. It's more like an educational point just to let you know you're now working on a machine that has... It also just, it also just removes that friction between the health and safety manager and let's focus on manufacturing the factory worker. Yeah. Boss is telling you every single time, like, hey, put your hard hat on. There's going to be friction there. No matter how friendly you are, it's just like, oh, who's this guy? Why is he telling me to put it on again? Like, I worked it for 40 years. How, how do you envision you might you may or may not want to answer this question when you I mean, I've worked I work and have worked in some like some of my customers 
are working in environments where there's just hazards fucking everywhere, like just everywhere. They're in such dynamic environments and risky environments that like the watch should be kind of going, vood, 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 vood. do you know what I mean? Like how, how are you going to, how are you planning on dealing with environments when there is just hazards everywhere and stop that, the, the notifications becoming too much that people just switch off from it. You know, like you say about signage, like signage become such a thing that we've just put it everywhere that no one listens to it. How, how, how have you thought of that about balancing? Yeah, for sure. How, I mean, how you prioritize, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. So the, yeah, the, the, the notifications are effectively muted once they've happened after a certain period of time for di different features. There's a different period in which they're muted because if you use the, I mean, the easiest way to think about this is the decibel reading zone. If you walk into a construction site and you're in a decibel reading above 85 decibels, like that decibel, it's not going to often get too much quieter. And if you're in, if there's a, something drilling, that's going to stay dormant for an hour. So there's a yeah there's a time latency period wherein you get the notification when you enter the zone it tells you to put your PPE on and then let's say for the decibel reading it's a it's customizable within the mobile app how long you're going to mute that for it's set up by default for the decibel reading for example it's going to be an hour um, but if you're in a yeah a manufacturing site maybe where decibels only come on at a haphazard five minutes for when the control room is doing X number of improvement or whatever. Right. But all yeah, all alerts are completely customizable within the app. So we have defaults that we set up. So in theory, the device shouldn't need any infrastructure or setup requirements. When you walk out, you put it on, nothing needs to change. But obviously different workplaces have different requirements at all times. So it's easy to adapt those settings within the device. Because the ideal scope for the device is that all employees will wear the wearable, but really there's no need for the employee themselves to be using the uh, like the website dashboard or the mobile app. Yeah, of course they can do it if they want to go and access their their reporting for their own safety practices. But really, odds are, if they're a factory worker, they don't care all that much about their safety performance, so they they don't need to go in and check. Of course they can if they want to, but the, we're not building it so that it becomes a behavioural management tool for an individual. Like it's that, as you said, it's a kind of a nudge theory premise that you remind these people to act in the right way. But we definitely don't want the device to be a behavioural management tool. We don't want employers and employees checking all their data all the time and then kind of having arguments because their performance is 10% worse than another employee's performance. It should be because the second you have that, you'll end up getting people who refuse to wear the device because it's causing yeah. more friction and benefit. So, I mean, I haven't touched on this main point, but it's a, it's a big factor in product development that all the device's data by default is completely anonymous. For that, we've done that for a reason so that it doesn't become this behavioral management tool. Now, of course, devices have their own unique ID on them, so yeah. they'll have a, a kind of a, a QR code on the back of them. So if you really want to be that uh, line manager who's tracking every single employee, you can say that device number six belongs to Darren, device number seven that belongs to Sarah. Mm. But one, space hands never hold that information, never know that information. Um, but two, if what's stopping Darren and Sarah swapping their devices when they go on charge? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I I like I like that one of the one of the questions i if i like a bit so for example that ai tech i i, I spoke about like one of the things that if we get a company like like protex who we we kind of partnered with on the podcast like they 
one of the first things we asked them was like, how, how, how do you want this to be used? And they said very similar to what you've just said, like, and uh, Dan, who we, we initially spoke to is like, I don't want this to be used as like a, as a stick just to whip people. Like it's not a behavioral management tool. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm interested in that. When we've had a couple of people ring us up and oh, we've got this AI tool. Yeah. Can you, can you like t- tell everyone about it? And I'm like, oh, how, how do you want it to be? Told? Well, it's perfect. You know, you can, we can, we can tell you who to tell off, you know, and, and I'm just like, nah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, so, you know, I really like, I really like that you, that you've kind of picked that up and just said, you know what, we can use this to nudge people so that they make their own decision. And we're trying to nudge them in the way that we want that decision to go. We're not controlling that. We're still giving them that sense of, because I mean, if you look at, I can't, I think it's called protect, protect, something like there's this weird paternalism or something. I don't know what it is around nudge theory about freedom of choice. Like you still need, because obviously it's predominantly come from marketing. So like you can't manipulate someone. You need to like nudge them. There's a difference. Um, I can't remember what it's called. There's also a, I mean, there's also a piece on nudge theory as a collective. So it, as an individual, it's behavioral, right? If you're looking at someone's data and you're telling them that you perform wrong because of this, this, and this. Whereas with space bands, although the data is anonymous, you obviously your devices are grouped together as a company, yeah. so you it's you can you can tell off the team for a ten percent increase in machines hitting into each other, but you're just not picking people out of the crowd and saying like you're wrong, making them hate you, hate the job. So you 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 do inevitably improve performance as a collective because you can use the data to inform those decisions, but you just don't end up firing someone because of a mistake they made that was completely accidental, but the data showed that they had this hazard at X time. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. How how do you, and I know you're you're probably not near this position yet, but like, how do you envision trying to kind of onboard your product and service with the customers and making sure that the customers use it in the way that you envision it being used is that a challenge that you thought about yet i know you're probably not at that point yet i know you're still in it's a product design stage that you're kind of in at the moment still or product development's underway so i mean we have we have thought about this for sure the the one thing that we have to really get right in the messaging is that we're not a tracking tool although it kind of almost seems like it because we have this holistic data set we're really not a tracking tool that it's got to be very made very clear to the end user who's inevitably the employee um that this is not us monitoring you or it's not your line manager monitoring you it's just something there to keep you safe it's to do lots of the safety checks for you in a way but if you're completing your work you're not going to be checking your environment around you every five seconds this device is so this device is effectively keeping you alive in the worst instances mm-hmm. because it's doing these background checks it's doing these background checks without the need for any internet connection without the need for any infrastructure it's just kind of searching for you in case something is happening that you're not aware of whether that be yeah like temperature being too high or the loud noise coming up or there being a forklift about to impale you so does it need so obviously you've got the wearable so like a i assume is it like a watch the same as this this but yep so kind of like a, a watch style and then you do you need like something else on say like the forklift for example so that the watch can pick up that the forklift is coming genius yeah so yeah there's a <laughs> no, i shouldn't i i should be it <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's a thing, we call it a beacon. So you put okay. a beacon on all your vehicles. That could be a forklift, could be a digger, could be a uh, robot doing the picking and packing for you in a warehouse. Yeah. Um, you also put a beacon on the entry points for the dangerous areas. So, for example, if you need a zone where you need 
certain certificate to be able to be enter the control room or you need whatever you want to track your expo exposure in a certain part of a warehouse if there's gas or certain materials in there you put these beacons at various points yeah. and then uh, yeah then for that we can track the location because the device itself doesn't have any gps on it again we've done this for um, product adoption and lack of friction right. we don't want employees to feel like they're being tracked when they're going on smoking breaks or going to the bathroom yeah. You don't want one employee to yeah feel, feel like they're being monitored by a black mirror-esque power. Everything is, again, like I said, to reiterate, it's all anonymous. There's no tracking. We definitely want to keep that in the pillar because that's what gives us the success of the social distancing device. When we ask our customers what they wanted to do, they said they love that about us. That's why they picked up us over competitive products. We want to definitely hold that through. Because uh, the other thing with a lot of safety tech when we were doing that research is lots of them are tracking tools. Most of the like so the lone worker systems are like they're monitoring people and yeah. telling people off when they're not checking back in. Yeah, but yeah. maybe this is why technology has been slow in health and safety because lots of times the upkeep is too trackable. It's too trackable, and then it becomes a behavioural management. I think it's a nature in which we have behaved as a profession for a long time. Like. 90% of professionals nowadays will tell you like, oh, you know, safety is not about finger wagging, but but it has been for a very long time. It has been for a very, very long time. And that extended into the technology and software and so on that we, that we utilized. It was very much like you can keep an eye on your employee and find out where they are at any point in time. Um, oh, and also it manages loan working. You know, it might not have been sold like that, but but it it did that. So very much. I mean, we used to, when I was in the NHS, we we didn't. Again, I'm not 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 a great advert for loan working devices. I know a couple of them, and and they do good good work. They really do. Um, but we used Snapchat when I was in them. When oh, I was wow. in the NHS, so we just buddied up. Um, so we all had a buddy, and we used to travel around the, the country loads. And um, we have a, we have a buddy assigned to us, and basically we had access to their diary so that we could see where they planned to go. And um, but but this how we managed loan working was when you got on site, you took a Snapchat photo of the of the sign of like I'm at X hospital, um, and then when you got home, you took a Snapchat of your front door. And that was it. So it didn't take up any memory on my phone or their phone. It just come up on my thing. All right, David's um, it's home now. Cool. And if I'm like, I'm home, hang on a minute. I've been home like two hours. David should have been home by now. I'll give David a ring. Oh, David, are you all right? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm stuck in traffic. That's all it is. I'm, I'm alive, but I'm stuck in traffic. Okay, cool. Didn't answer his phone. Then I activate a process. I'm like, the funny thing is we had a very young team. We had a very young team. It was the oldest person in the team that came up with Snapchat. He was, uh, his name was David and he was, I don't know, maybe in his 50s, 60s, uh, oldest guy in the team, but he loved Snapchat. And um, we were sitting in a meeting, how do we manage loan work? And he was like, well, we can just use Snapchat. And I was in the room. Some of these things, it's just often the easiest way. Honestly, it was nuts. And I'm in the room. I was like, I don't know, a 26, 27 year old at the time. No, I'm probably a bit younger. And I'm like, why do you think of that? Like <laughs> the kid in the room, like that's been my idea, not not his idea. Um, and everyone was kind of like, and initially the company were like, no, nah, I don't like that. But like our boss was like, fucking love it, go with it. And um, and that was it. So we tried to push that to the other sector because we were a massive safety team. So we tried to push that to the other regions and um, and they didn't like it. 
Um, but it was simple, low cost. Well, no cost. It was completely free. Um, yeah. Simple. But yeah, it was uh, anyway, completely off piece story there. But yeah, it's just use Snapchat. Going to can all the product development, just build everything around Snapchat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, everything around. <laughs> Honestly, I'll, I'll never forget that. I was sitting in that meeting just being like, you're near retirement. How have you come up with this? Like, but yeah, he just loves Snapchat. So he was like, Who's he messaging on there? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he just used to take photos of like his dinner and send it to the team and be like, Hey, this is what I'm having for dinner. And then one day he was like, Oh, we could use this for loan working. I was like, genius, absolute genius. Um, but yeah, no, I really like that. So and the and the next the next part of it, which I think is a really important part, is that that data gathering piece, isn't it? So what what kind of data can we, so basically i mean how i'm looking at this is that i can now see i got an employee base of i don't know 100 people over a factory or two factories i can now see how many times people are interacting with a forklift how many times people are interacting with this hazard or that has i can literally see the interactions between human and hazard in a way kind sure, of yeah. dynamically yeah, very dynamically. So like the, the safety features we actually we're tracking, at least within the first iteration, we have a few more in the pipeline. But yeah, within the first iteration are going to be m- machine and person collision. That could be, like I said, a forklift, could be a car, could be a uh, robot, could be whatever. Yeah. Access zones. So the likes of walking into a control room or the likes of uh, standing in an exposure limit gas chamber or whatever it might be. Lone working. Um, PPE prompts for certain areas, the first example being wearing a steel cap boots when you walk on site on a construction site. Um, building occupancy logs, so we can track exit and entry to building. Obviously, because the device has proximity, you can see if someone leaves an exit zone, therefore the building has one less person in it. And the benefit of that in the likes of a fire, ro- fire, ro- fire uh, roll call, yeah. you can say like, oh, we've got 200 people in the building right now. You're doing the roll call? Oh, we've got 200 people there. Cool, we can go out for now. But there's no real technology to come on to that in the same kind of and without without tapping an old old school RFID card. Can I pause you on that one? I got a question on that one because fire is like a big area for us, um, and and evacuation and roll call is a freaking pain in the ass. Like the majority of people do it shit. And the majority of people hate when I tell them the roll call is a horrendous way to manage it because what if Bob's just popped out for lunch and you forgot Bob popped out for lunch, which is very easy. Where, where's Bob? Where's Bob? That's right. Did he go out for lunch? I don't know. Did he? Isn't he on holiday? I thought he was on a He just got back. I got the fix for that. I got the fix for that. Yeah, and, and, and you're like, is he here? So my question would be that you kind of fix that – could it also, I don't know, I'm thinking out loud, I don't want to give away any any ideas that you may or may not have, um, but could it also tell me if Dave is in the building and where Dave is in the building so that I could tell the fire service you need to go here because it might not say it's Dave, but it says it's device six, which is somebody. Yes and no. So the reason it's a yes and no is that the device, like I said before, doesn't have any GPS trackability. Yeah. So you can't see that Dave is in the building. However, I was about to lead on to one of my next, one of the next features is we do have a man down alarm. So the man down alarm works on a, like it's called a Bluetooth mesh network. So it sends signals from one device to the next device, to the next device, to the next device. If someone's heart rate drops below a certain amount or if they've had a triple fall, which is another feature if I had continued. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, all good, no worries at all. 
So if Dave has fallen over or is in a high stress, as in heavy heart rate or low heart rate zone, there would be an alert sending out to everyone around him that he's in trouble. In the case of the fire call, let's say Dave hasn't been found, he's in the back of a room on fire and everyone within 50 meter, 100 meter proximity has disappeared. In this instance, yeah, the technology wouldn't stand fit because it doesn't have a location tracking tool. But you would be able to see that Dave, you would would be able to see that the device is still in the building. Admittedly, you wouldn't be able to see where it was. So, yeah, there are flaws to that, of course. But But then it's that fine line between then it becomes a tracking device, doesn't it? Which you don't want. So, yeah. Yeah. It's more important for us to not have a tracking device than this one instance where it might might be needed. Admittedly, this is probably the, the, the worst case for the product because, yeah, that would be a fatality. But. Yeah, you can you can try and move all the whistles, but every now and again something gets missed. Yeah, and that's that that kind of balancing. Like, if you add that in to solve, and 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 really that's not a problem because I think you can tell if they're working that day. So you and and you'd be able to deal with it from the roll call point of view. And and like we we when whenever we do work with customers, we we tell them get rid of the roll call and do a sweep. So have allocated wardens and sweep the area before you leave. So you would pick them up on that anyway. So it wasn't a problem. I just my brain was like, oh this is interesting. Um oh, oh, yeah, right now the location tracking is definitely not at the forefront of our minds for the sake of getting the product into risk. Yeah, which, like you say, it, it becomes a fine line, isn't it? Be like, well, hang on a minute, Dave's been at Subway for 40 minutes and he's only got a 30-minute lunch. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dave, I can see you went for seven shits today and each one of them <laughs> is 10 minutes long. So what, what's going on? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you don't want that. You don't want that, do you? Um, that's fascinating. I, there's, there's so much to this. I really like what you are saying about the heart rate. So... You can now, yeah. So this is yeah. <laughs> the the heart rate is um yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of yo-yoing back and forth between my chain of thought. But that, the heart rate is a means for us to monitor stress, so we can monitor stress versus hazards. Um, and by that you can see if decreased in before you can see one ambient stress rate stress rate within a workplace, not judged upon productivity, but judged upon safety. So if there's yeah if Every single employee is because the decibel reading is at 90 all the time, their stress rates have gone up. You can realize that's something that you've really got to address because people are having issues. But anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to miss that point for now because we'll dive into the safety features and then we're going to address the well-being features wherein the heart rate monitor comes into fruition. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) It's so easy when you're doing a multi-feature device to just like, this isn't the first time I had a similar situation. We we said earlier, it's like, yeah, you said earlier, safety is not used to this, right? We're used to very singular, one problem, one solution, not not multifaceted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is this heavy text? <laughs> um, but yeah, so past the building occupancy logs, we're also monitoring decibel reading, as I mentioned many times. But decibel reading and learn working are probably going to be the the lead features for this device. It was something that within our core research, people kind of uncovered as their, their most prevalent safety issue, it seemed. Um, past that, we have have checks, so hand-arm vibration. Yeah, the device has an accelerometer in it, so we'll obviously be able to monitor if your wrist yeah. is shaking for five minutes, ten minutes. It will monitor your exposure limit over time. It will monitor how often that's happened every week. For the most part, people who are using devices that need have checks, I reckon like fifty percent of them probably aren't wearing the devices because they've got to go and get the have check, and then they've got to go and do this task that's going to take them two minutes. If yeah. you have a wearable device that's monitoring everything else anyway, you can track so much more exposure within that singular use case. And then the other two safety features that we're leading with are the temperature checks for both personnel and environmental. So that's ambient temperature. 
as in like your your standard resting temperature versus the temperature fluctuation. So you could be working in a freezer warehouse if you're exposed to cold for a number of time. It's obviously a bad thing. Similarly, hot temperatures, you're working in Oman on a building site. If you're at 40 degree temperature on your personal, like you're obviously in some trouble. And then the beacons will also monitor ambient environmental checks. So you can then see if personal data is monitored, is aligning with inside and outside using beacons. So it's a holistic approach to temperature where most temperature scanning tools are just doing either environmental or they're just doing personal. And for the most part, no one's collecting that personal safety, safety temperature data because who's going to be wearing a device all day, every day to monitor your temperature? Really? Okay, so I've just spoke at you for 10 minutes, but that's the safety features of the device. Now, the other thing that's really important to us is getting well-being elements brought into safety because naturally often the, the two sign in um, together. Yeah. So we have um, that heart rate monitor to monitor workplace stress. If workplace stress has uh, become a big issue and it's like the heart's kind of increasing, increasing, the device will give you breathing prompts to bring it down. Now the employee can inevitably decide to ignore these or not ignore these, but just like a, a simple breathing exercise just to bring you back to a, a place wow. of not being yeah, on your brain on fire. We also have stretching prompts if you've been in an extended stationary or sedentary place. So if you've been working at a desk for four hours, the device will pop up saying maybe you should have a quick five-minute stretch. Similarly, if you're working on a factory line, you're just staying in the same spot, it will tell you to have a quick walk. Obviously, we can track that by using the accelerometer and the gyroscope to see if someone's moving or standing still. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I've naturally found myself sat down at a desk for 14 hours without standing up just because there's hectic stuff going on. So having that little reminder, you can choose to ignore it or you can choose to use it, but we thought, why not include it? The employee will inevitably want to wear the device more if we're monitoring their well-being and helping them to stay happy at work. And in doing that, they stay safer. In doing that, everyone else is happier. Past that, we have a pedometer just to track steps at work, just to give the device a use case for inevitably the end user. And we have simple, are you happy at work questions and uh, sort of safety reporting. So the device will pop up at the beginning or end of the day saying, are you happy at work? Yes, no, very simple. And then the mobile app has a section where you can input safety observations. So if the floor is wet in the part of the factory, take a picture, send it in, it pops up on the dashboard of the health and safety manager so they can get this, yeah. Uh, live eagle in the sky from their own employees by using the mobile app in like a 10 second practice rather than having to leave whatever they're doing, go up to the health and safety manager's office, knock on the door, wait for two minutes politely, and then say, oh, by the way, it's a bit wet downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the device is effectively going to, well, at least we hope, will become this holistic means of monitoring every single hazard and safety attribute in work. We're obviously not going to try and do everything and anything as we start off. We're just kind of looking at in in-house safety elements in the likes of a construction site or a manufacturing site, but hopefully there will be a point where we extend all of those features to be monitoring drivers when they're out, to be monitoring uh, gas, to be monitoring ambient oxygen levels, all of this sort of stuff, whether we use our devices or we end up integrating other devices into the dashboard. Spaceplan should become a place where a health and safety manager can log in and they can see everything. They can see all the data in a very digestible way to say, Loan working alarm check-ins have decreased by 5%. 5% of people aren't, aren't checking in on time. Cool. Okay, let's address this. But next week, let's bring everyone in and just remind them to check in because it's keeping themselves safe and keeping everyone, everyone else safe. But they can see that uh, decibel readings are going up. They can either make an informed decision to buy everyone PPE for PPE headphones, or they can make an informed decision to check why everything is increasing. If there's a machine that's not working properly, or if 
there's someone not doing their job closing a door where they should be so yeah we just don't, we want it to become just an easy way to just look at data that's not heavy tech we want it to be as simple and as digestible as possible where you can just log in and in a minute you can see how you're performing overall it's not a means of a test for a company it's not a means of something that needs to be shared elsewhere it's not a way of tracking employees just a way basically to inevitably stop fatalities by using data to do that and it's something that for some reason we we've discovered no one's been doing before you don't really know why these individuals hasn't companies hadn't sort of addressed this before mm. and the real benefit is being able to check whether one hazard is better or worse than another and therefore inform like i said before ppe purchasing or inform training or inform if whether or not you've got the right staff on the site to change your safety culture wow that's the big sales pitch <laughs> it's, it's impressive uh i mean there's there's a skeptic in me that's like nah i can't do all that <laughs> um but there is like i mean and ultimately, from what this feels like and looks like from the employee side, kind of like a smartwatch, I assume, is it? Yeah, like a smartwatch, but a smartwatch that's not interactive to distract from work. Like we don't want it to have a calendar or emails or messaging on it. It just is a safety tool. Like, yes, it will ask, are you happy at work or are you alone working? Yes, no. But besides that, there's, there's really no interaction from the user. They can check their temperature. They can check the time. But it's just there as a reminder to keep them safe. And to be perfectly honest, it, although it, it seems very strange, but even if the device didn't perform, we're perceiving that just the fact that the employee is wearing something reminding them about safety, they become more conscious about their safety mm. in a strange way. Like it's almost a reminder that well, it, it's, pace. it's bringing it back into the, the it, what, what I like about it is one of the biggest problems we have in, in safety is we blanket approach a lot of things. So for example, you might go to a construction site where well, you will go to a construction site and we'll, we'll have to don all the PPE for every possible hazard um, the second you step on site. You know, so, okay, cool. And then we've worked with roofers in the past that are working on the roof and they're like, why, why am I wearing a hard hat? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, there's literally nothing above me yeah, yeah, yeah. a bird so potentially bird shit and that's about it so like even though I did have a bird crap on my car the other day and Jesus Christ I thought it cracked, cracked the windscreen it was that <laughs> it was huge and it just went slap and I was like oh my god um, but yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> it was like it it gives it for me it gives the the company the professional it, it, potential to be able to focus their mitigations and their risk management tools to where it's applicable. So, for example, it could be like right, you, we can we can tell I don't, I don't know, but like you can tell you're in X zone now. Um, so you don't need to wear your, your hearing protection. I'm, I know it's the other way around, but it enables us to be like, because we're nudging them when they go into the area where they need X, we don't have to blanket rule it for the whole site. So hearing protection is a good example. The reason why I kind of use that one as well is because the legislation or the, at least the guidance, uh, the ACOP is is quite clear and it. it doesn't want you to, the HC don't want you to blanket rule it. So they don't want you to blanket rule it. They actually tell you to be very specific and targeted on the areas in which you need hearing protection. But every site will blanket rule it because it's easier to manage. Because 
it's hard to nudge people to to put the hearing protection on in that moment in the right space at that time just by that machine or by this X or whatever instead of it's much easier when they clock in just get them, get them to put the hearing protection on sure and, and I think what this gives us the ability is that nudge the, the, the giving us the ability to nudge them gives us less excuses to blanket rule for me which I think is a really good thing sure and with the uh, specifically we are we're even looking at like bringing PPE headphones that have a Bluetooth signal so we can know whether or not the employee has them on or doesn't have them on. Right, yeah, nice. But yeah, um, we're not trying to walk before you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but walk before you can run kind of thing. But yeah, that that's it's that, there's so much potential to this, but I, I love I love it, it for me it's just that that it I think it gives it gives us a really good um case study for let's get people who are not in safety to try and help us solve our problems um because somebody will come in and look at this holistically um to your point like you're coming up with several singular solutions why not have one solution for everything but it does it does blow my mind that a little watch on your wrist can do that much stuff that's yeah, when i explain it it seems like it's very heavy tech, but it, it's really not. Like if you if you break down the features and think about them pragmatically, like a decibel reader is just a microphone. Yeah. Like a trip and fall thing, a trip and fall alert is just an accelerometer and a device going, oh, we've fallen down, oh, we haven't picked back up. Like yeah. It's very, it's simple. It's just collating them together that's a little bit more complicated. But yeah, this is why we've been working on this for about two years and we're almost ready to launch it. Nice, nice. Wow. So um, how do people, if people are like, oh my fucking God, get this in my factory. Um, what what timeline? I know you, you say like you're nearly ready to launch. Have you got like a target? We're going to be ready on X or are you not near that yet? Yeah, no, no, we're, we're near that. So we think we're going to launch the device in January of next year. Nice. Um, yeah. So the, the best way to yeah, start those conversations is by reaching me by email, which is ronan at spacebands.com. Or if you just visit the spacebands.com website, if you can't spell my name or forgotten what it was by the time I said it 10 seconds ago, just visit www.spacebands.com and there's a contact form on there and you can get in touch. Uh, thank you, Steve. We're going to put your email address and the website in the description anyway um, so that people can get that, mate. Um, but I'm mega keen to see where this goes and um, and I'll be telling people about it for sure. Um, really, really interesting, mate. Thank you very much for what you're doing and, um, yeah, keen to see where it goes. But thank you for coming on. No worries. I'm equally keen to see where, where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that. We've put Space Band, uh, Ronan's, and all the LinkedIn's and stuff in the description below. So go check out um, all of their contacts if you want to learn some more as well. If you need some help and support with improving safety and human performance on site, then we would love to work with you and help you rebrand safety. So you can go and check riskfluentltd.com or email me, James, at I don't even know my own email address. Or email me, James at riskfluentltd.com. Catch you next week. Safe.
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. 